So today I'm super excited to have Lee Gladish on the show. Lee is the co-founder and CEO of Airborne App, a sales automation and engagement platform for agencies. And like so many other founders who have been on the show before, his company was recently acquired. Massive congrats to you, Lee, um, and thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, Gavin. Uh, appreciate it and uh, looking forward to being here today. So unlike me, who spent 12 years at one company, you know, building Sendable, you've obviously managed to exit two companies um, in the last few years. So I'm really keen just to explore how you go about like building a company, scaling it up in a short amount of time, and then selling it after that. Um, so I know you started Airborne App about two years ago, or just under two years ago. Uh, so what led you to deciding to sell? Like, why was it the right time for you? Yeah, so the I got to a point where we looked at, it was a lot of competitive pressure. And I was in the same market with my previous company, Reply.io. And we had money on the table. We, were, we raised a small seed round, you know, a couple hundred K. And by the way, I believe everyone should raise a small seed round. So we can get into that later. Um, Bootstrapping is great, but I think, you know, small seed round always helps because you're not really giving up a lot. But anyhow, um, so when we looked at, the money that we had on the table from from the current VCs, we had you know between a million and two million that we were going to raise, and I was like, what can I do with this amount of money, with the current team that I have, and looking at the competitors? Because sure, there were competitors that raised a lot more money, but there was also a lot of competitors that have been like in the space for three or four or five years, and I did not want to go build just a you know two, three, four, five million ARR business. That that, that wasn't our goal, right? I wanted to build something really big. So when Demand Science came um, to us, and we came, we we met Demand Science through actually a good partnership that I had at Reply, a company called Lidero. Um, they were acquired by Demand Science, um, so we started talking, and I, their vision kind of aligned exactly what we were doing, and they were going to give us all the support and help, and hire all the people that we needed, and they already have, you know, you know, they're about a thousand employees, big sales team. And I was like, this is the this is the company that's going to get us to where I want to go. Um, so it wasn't, it definitely was not a money decision. It was really like, what's the best thing that we always wanted? Our vision was always build, you know, the, a, a world-class product and compete with the, the best companies out there. And that's what we want to do. And we felt that this was going to get us uh, to that point. Another thing too is um, looking at a company that's fairly large in size and as they're going to grow. You know, we felt that there was just a, a lot of opportunity, not only in building the product, but the kind of product that we can build. So that's that's really at the end of it what we came down to. And my co-founder and I were, you know, we're we're fully on board with it. So we both agreed, like right off the bat, that this was a good move for us. Cool. So are you sticking around for a while? Or are you going to kind of exit the business? What's the plan for you? Yeah, no, I am. I am. And that was another thing they wanted. You know, like they were very adamant, making sure that. All our staff was going to stay on board. We had a small team, but everyone's going to stay on board, and we were just going to keep hiring. And then, essentially, myself, my my CTO, like we were, you know, part of the deal. Like they wanted us to make sure that we were going to keep building what we we're going to build. Mm. And um, yeah, so that was that was really nice to know because we were can you know see out our vision moving forward. Yeah. So obviously, uh, as you said, you were in a very uh, highly competitive space. Um, like, what would you say was sort of pivotal to your success and finally getting acquired? Like, was there anything that you kind of did to get to that? that um, kind of period of being noticed by potential acquirers? I, I think this may, this may be off uh, with a lot of other people, but when you acquire a company, when you do, you know, when you walk through the MMA, um, a company of five or 20 million is probably going to cost the same amount of time and money and effort to, to do due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to make sure when you buy a company, they got at least a substantial revenue. This was very strategic in 
their play because we fit really well within the puzzle. But I think what helped us was that not only did we have deep domain knowledge within the space, because I was in the space already for you know five, six years, um, my co-founder built a phenomenal product, but because we were so early on and we didn't have a hundred employees and mm-hmm. you know revenue that was going to be, be way out of realm for them to acquire us with like the multiples and everything else, it was a lot easier to do, a lot quicker to do. And it was kind of like that perfect fit because at my last company, I had lots of acquisition offers and you always get into the point where it's like, well, you're 5 million ARR. Well, we definitely want to see three, four, five, eight times revenue. That doesn't fit with everybody, especially a company that's really growing fast. They're literally looking to install these pieces of technology to help them help them grow really a lot quicker. And so it was kind of like a perfect timing thing. I, I, honestly, I, it couldn't have been any, it couldn't have been any easier or, or straightforward. They were really good to deal with, like amazing to deal with. So it kind of worked out perfectly. Cool. Uh, so for me personally, I'm kind of going back to starting a, a new company now, having been in the, in the business for like 12, 13 years at Sendable. So I guess with you being a serial entrepreneur, you kind of started a couple of companies now. What advice would you give to me kind of with um, regards to starting the next company? Like how would I go about kind of starting now? Like how do you look at the market these days? If you were to start again, what's the first thing you would do? Yeah, I think about starting a business all the time. So <laughs> um so, and I advise for a couple other companies, and this is the advice I always give to any entrepreneur, and I, I take my own advice. And I took my own advice when I built Airborne. You want to pick a niche, 100% pick a niche and go really narrow within that niche. Because everyone thinks, well, you know, it's not a trillion or a billion dollar market yet. And they think they have to go into the biggest market and sell to everybody. So I mm-hmm. think you need to go into a niche and narrow as focused as you can. And the reason why you do that is one, because there's probably a big enough market there that's going to grow because every market just grows over time, but you have a big enough market where you're going to do things better than the competition. First off, sometimes you're going to do two or three things much better than the competition. So that's an advantage. Another advantage, which most startup founders never realize until it's too late is the marketing. Because when you have a niche, your messaging is super laser focused. Mm -hmm. You're only selling to one buyer. You're not hiring a whole bunch of salespeople to sell to the masses because you know who your buyer is. You're going to figure out that product and that fit that works so well for them. And then from there, you're just going to expand slowly. And those are some of the things that you never really see early on. So the marketing messaging, so your sales led motion becomes easier. Your marketing message becomes easier. Your calls to action on your website becomes easier. Every, and the features that you build are only for that niche. So mm-hmm. everything, and especially in the beginning when money's tight, going niche is super important. And how do you identify that niche? So obviously, um, I guess with Airborne app, you're targeting agencies, I assume. So I'm wondering, how did you, how did you come to decide? How did you decide on, on, that, on that sort of niche? Yeah. So my previous startup, we sold to everybody. And I mean, everybody. If you were a automotive company that thought that sales automation was for you, you, you know, you would buy your products still, and you probably weren't a perfect fit as opposed to, you know, selling to just a salesperson or a BDR. But through that process, we had a lot of agencies that used our product. Our product wasn't built for agencies before. Um, so what happened was agencies would come in and say, like these workflows is not how my business runs. And I got to hack everything and I got to run spreadsheets and reports and build data outside and just a whole bunch of things, how I engage with my customers. So through that process, I, I, I really understood that if I'm going to start again in this space, because the market is so big in sales engagement, the market's still huge in, in CRM. 
Um, there's like a lot of opportunity in there still, even though there's some big players, there's still a lot of opportunity. But what, once I left my last startup and I started airborne, I made sure I talked to a lot of customers. Like we had close to a hundred customer discovery calls. I reached out to a whole bunch of agencies. I said, I'm building a product for them. I actually, here's a great tip. We actually created a UI. Like we built the UI early on before we even had a product or a line of code built. I built a UI. I had like four or five screens. Everybody loved it. Every agency was like, get this in my hands as soon as you can. Because when I talked to them, I wasn't just asking them questions. I asked them the questions, open-ended questions. And I made sure at the end, I showed them what my vision was. And they were like, this solves a lot of my problems. And then I gave them the UI and then they mocked it, marked it up for me. And then kind of like started developing. And that's how it kind of all happened. So talk to your customers. I even, there's a startup, I'm in a co-working space here. And there's a startup here. I've been, I've been kind of working with them for like five or six months and they're in the real estate market, which I don't know a lot about, but I st- still tech. And I keep telling the the founder, I said, like, how many people have you spoken to? He's like, yeah, I talked to a couple. I'm like, every six months later, I keep, he's, it's only a couple and he's still it's scared to do it. So don't be scared to do it. Talk to people. Cause this is the thing. If you're pitching companies before you built a product and you're not selling anything, and you're mm-hmm. just asking for looking to help them and they won't talk to you. Imagine when you have your product and you're now trying to sell them on using it. Good luck. <laughs> it's going to be hard. So yeah. great practice for you to walk through and understand how that cycle works with at least a little bit of the sales. Cause not every founder's salesy and could be very technical. So I think it's a great practice for everybody to go through. Cool. So when I launched Sendable, I kind of just back then it was a free product. And I put it out there on the internet, wrote to TechCrunch, ReadWriteWeb, Mashable, all the big publications, got a few articles written. And then from there, I had a few early adopters who were using Sendable for free and giving me feedback. So if you're starting out now, like how do you get those early adopters? So cold email is, is great. So let's start with LinkedIn. You know, you go to LinkedIn, start doing a search, find out, you know, those positions and titles. And that's the whole point. Who's your buyer, right? Like who are you selling to? So you should really be able to easily find out who your persona is of the buyer of look who you're looking to sell to and start reaching out to those people. And it could be something as easy as, you know, I built this product specifically for product managers, just like you. I'd really love to get some of your feedback. More importantly, I'd like to show you how we're going to do things and maybe make your life easier. I'd love to get your feedback, 15 minutes of your time. And if you think it's going to be maybe a great fit for you, when I launch my product, I'll give it to you for free for six months, like whatever it is. People, most, a lot of people are going to say yes. You're going to get your 20, 50 calls, no problem. Um, but you got to just send out those emails and, and, and mm-hmm. connect with those people. Um, Quora is really good. You're going to find people on Quora, but there's so many Slack groups now. Um, I would go live in some of these Slack groups because you're going to definitely find people really easily. So a lot of Slack groups out there. Did you use Product Hunt at all for Airborne? I, you know, I didn't. So we, we were going to do our Product Hunt launch in September. And we got acquired six weeks, seven weeks oh, ago. Wow. Okay. So we we kind of yeah, I was excited about the product hunt launch. So we <laughs> uh, we were prepping for it, but we we didn't uh, we didn't do it. But we definitely, um, you know, I've listened to your, your your podcast, and one of the things you know, like we sometimes talk controversial things. This is not so controversial, but I'm very not for AppSumo. I know a lot <laughs> of people love AppSumo. I'm a huge fan of Noah Keegan. I follow Noah Keegan. Mm-hmm. I watch all his his YouTube videos. He's amazing. Actually, he's probably one of the CEOs that I follow more than anybody. I think he's brilliant. But I'm not a big fan of launching my product on AppSumo and giving it away for next to nothing for the marketing. 
there's pros and cons, but it's just not, maybe it's just not in my DNA. <laughs> um, so something you said actually in the, in the notes before we um, uh, got on board for the podcast was that it's important to kind of start marketing before building. Mm. Why, 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 yes. why do you recommend marketing early? So, okay. So this is a great point. Um, when we started Airborne, we started writing content from day one. So not even you know, a year into our product, we probably had, you know, 40, 50 blog posts. Um, we, 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 we wrote an ebook, we wrote three kind of mini ebooks. Um, and the reason why marketing is really important is because it takes time. We know it takes six, eight months to even start ranking for any keywords. So after about three or four months, we started actually ranking for a couple of low hanging, you know, there's a couple of keywords that we started ranking for, and then it started picking up. And if you wait for a year until your product's launched and then you start marketing, you just got another thing on your table mm-hmm. that you got to manage. Um, and it's easy to get started. Like you can hire somebody out there for probably $1,000 a month for a few months, just to do some technical SEO work. Again, quality comes with everything. You can find much better people than you know $1,000 a month, but yeah. you can find people out there to write articles for $100 a month with some keyword analysis and research. I say start marketing early because that's the one thing everyone starts really late, especially technical founders. <coughs> Excuse me. Because <clears throat> what's going to happen in a year after you've launched your product, now all of a sudden your growth is going to be so much faster. Because if you're ranking for some keywords and you're driving 100 or 200 leads a month as opposed to zero, that five dollars $6,000 that you spent on a little bit of marketing is probably get you a long way, especially if you're in a market that doesn't have a ton of competitors. And some competitors, again, non-tech products or depending on what market you're in, definitely um, not everyone's great at SEO. So you can definitely mm-hmm. win at that game. So just on the SEO side, so then I assume that you kind of started, like you basically had a, a coming soon page for Airborne and you had a blog alongside that or? No. Okay. So, you know, it doesn't matter if it's your fifth, fourth, sixth startup, you always make mistakes. So we hired a <laughs> um, uh, WordPress developer to, to do our site. And he butchered it. Like he, he, he did everything wrong with it. Um, not so much the way it looked and not the look and feel. Um, mm. but we got a whole bunch of bad backlinks and it was corrupt. And just, he, I don't know what he was doing. He was installing all these, it was a mess. My fault. I'm CEO. I take full responsibility, but it, it pushed us back. And then I, we went on to unstack and then like, you know, four days later we, we launched our, we launched a new site, but, um, you know, we made that mistake. So yes, the goal was we had a landing page, static landing page coming soon, drive people there, getting signups. We did that. But, you know, spending the three, four months on the website, good tip of advice. And I didn't take it myself and I should have just build a static landing page overnight, put it the site and that's it. Forget about making things look perfect because it's never going to be perfect. It's going to, that's the one thing I'm always like, it's got to, the site's going to change in the words. It's not going to happen. Just launch something and put it there and leave it there because it's not going to make a difference just one nice static landing page is all you need uh so funny you said that because for me like the, the pressure on my next startup is so immense everyone's asking like what's next for you gavin like what are you working on next so i feel like this next thing has to be perfect like has to have the perfect website perfect product any advice for kind of perfection like like when is the right time to launch when, when is it too late when is it too soon you know yeah so for you, I, I don't think you yourself or anyone that there's no such thing as a perfect site um, and what it should look like. And if it's it just as long as it has a clear message and what you're going to do, you can, you're going to always update that. You're always going to update the site later. In early mm-hmm. days, the site really doesn't matter. It really doesn't. So 
my idea, my, my, my methodology around building products, um, it has been, you know, there's the, the Reed Hoffman quote and people always say, it's like, you know, launch and be embarrassed about your product. I completely disagree with that. Right. Like I completely disagree with that unless you're in a market that no one's ever seen, which I don't know any of those markets. <laughs> when I launched airborne and again, we spent eight, nine months building this product. And when we launched it, you know, there were still a lot of things that we didn't have. And I was like, it's a great product. There was a lot of, com- a lot of customers were just like, yeah, I need something else. Like it needs this, it, there's, it's missing certain things. And it was a great product, but there were certain clients who were just like, not for me because they needed, they, there's certain things in there if it was a key piece of integration. So first off, I believe that you just can't launch a product that's half-baked. I think it, it doesn't have to be full functioning, but you have to have that. If it solves that problem, you have to solve that problem. I don't believe it ha- you have to be embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be pretty solid to launch because most people now, especially with all the tech out there, there's a lot of phenomenal products. Mm-hmm. You can find something for everything. So um, you got to solve that problem. But don't get caught up in, I need one more feature and it's going to be perfect because it will never be perfect. Right? We've done, we over-engineered <clears throat> Airborne when we built it and we probably should have launched three or four months earlier, um, but because we over-engineered. So it was already ready and it was always that one extra feature is going to make, and it's not going to make a difference mm-hmm. because there's so, every buyer is so different. So once you feel like this product's ready and it's got, it's got that, that one thing that makes the difference just get out and launch because you need that feedback because you think that one UI tweak and change is going to make a difference. And we're always wrong. Like the, cl- the, cl- yeah. the customer's always going to be like, this doesn't matter to me, or it's super important. Just, just get it out launched, but make sure that it's, you know, full functioning at least. So how would you respond to a customer that says, you know, airborne is great, but HubSpot has these features, you know, Salesforce has those features. Can you add those in for me? I need them desperately before I sign up. How do you, how yeah. do you handle those kinds of, of customers? So when you go really niche, you don't get a lot of those problems. Because we were so niche and narrow in our focus, we solved three, four, five problems that every agency had. And we knew that no competitors were solving those problems. Now, the integrations and the phone dialer and all these other things we didn't have yet. But that wasn't their problem. Their problem was, I need to understand my data. I need to log into all my clients. I need to see the visibility. Like I need to manage all these things in once. And we'd solve that problem. And mm. early on, clients were like, this is great. And, and they came on board. And, you know, we got to, the, you know, the first five, six, seven, eight MMR pretty quick. But mm. they're, they're, when you're, sorry, when you're going very niche, you, you, run le- you run into that a lot less. Mm. Because you know that, that your market is looking for that, for that problem. And then you can also do like a quick integration with Zapier and kind of like a push and pull. And most customers, if you're bigger, if the pain is big enough, they'll wait the three, four months to get that extra feature. And we found that a lot. That happened a lot. But one thing though, and I made a mistake on this and I've been selling my whole life (laughs) is early on and as a startup, do not sell the features that are coming and you know they're coming that clients (laughs) want. So don't get on the phone and on the demo and say, guess what? That feature, we're working on it right now. It's three months. Guess what's going to happen? Clients will be like, perfect. I'll wait three months. (laughs) So don't sell what you don't have yet. Sell what you have and that's it. Yeah. Um, and I think I think when you're starting out, it's kind of natural just to take some shortcuts with your company structure, how things are set up, how you how you recruit uh, contracts, that kind of thing. What is your perspective on kind of getting things set up properly from the beginning versus just being scrappy and getting your business off the ground? So great question, um, and I'm glad you asked that because 
after doing a few startups, you know, everything's paper napkin, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is paper napkin. Nothing's documented. You, you hire people. You don't have to worry about this is such a honestly, this is I'm so glad you asked. It's such a great question. So I just this is really fresh for me. Just went through an acquisition. Well, when you go through an acquisition, just like, you know, there's due diligence. There's a ton of paperwork, accounting, legal contracts, little things that you don't even realize. Like, do you have a reseller agreement with anybody? Did you license any code to anybody? Do you have a white label with it? Like the things you wouldn't even think about. So the first thing that we did when we started Airborne is we used a product called Owner, O-W-N-R.co. Everything is online, your articles incorporation, your minute meetings, everything is done in one place. So that was the first thing we did. We set that up there, ownership, share structure, everything was done there. So when we went through the acquisition, they're like, great, where's your books? We were just like, here's our login. And that was it. Like hours and days and weeks of conversations were gone now. We didn't even have to worry about that. And then our, our employee contracts, our contractor agreements, even little things like an employee left or a contractor left. You need to like, where's that release letter? So we made sure everything was there this time around because you don't build a startup to think I'm going to sell it in a year or 10. You never do. Like you just build and try to survive. But this is super critical question for any found startup founder is get your shit in order from day one, because it doesn't matter. Even if you're failing, you can still sell your business. And at that point, you're still going to need that document and all those documents. So there, we should actually, you, you should actually have another episode where you walk through all the important things that you need to think about because it's so fresh. But yeah. um, yeah, we got structured, set up really early. Previous startups, not so much. I was scrambling mm-hmm. before we, we were selling company before. It was a lot of like, I need, I'm, I'm really li- relying on my lawyer and on my accountant to put all this stuff together. So yeah. get it all in order. You may not, you may not be generating revenue, but guess what? Your accounting is important. <laughs> Uh, so you mentioned before we started recording that you want to kind of start a few companies, get them off the ground, and then possibly flip them or sell them. How would someone go about doing that? Like if you were to build a little, a little startup in a couple of years' time, what would your process be to kind of getting someone on board to be interested in buying it? So partnerships are really key. Um, I came through this acquisition via another an old partnership. Partnerships are really, really important. Um, integration partnerships are really important. You want to partner with companies that add value to your product and you're going to add value to their product. So that's a great way to start. Um, but you know, it does, it's not a guaranteed way that it's going to happen. Um, if you, if you are at a point and you want to sell your business, I would always say that's, you always want to get bought, not sold, right? You want, you want someone coming, knocking on your door. Um, but you know, now there's things like, you know, micro acquire, uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of brokers online. Like you can get your startup sold pretty quick if you know if it if the numbers look right, um, or you're not asking you know for a ridiculous amount of money. I see startups out there like they're five thousand a month in revenue. They're asking for like seven hundred thousand dollars. Like it's crazy. Yeah. But um, the the thing is, you you want to work partnerships early on in, in your journey. Um, you look at HubSpot. They're a CRM. They even integrate with other CRMs. They integrate with everybody. Um, and having that ecos that open ecosystem is really important. I think when you start a startup, talk to people, you know, like don't just integrate and take an API, talk to the partnership manager at that company, talk to the business development rep at that company, figure out, you know, where they're thinking, what they're building and align your product with their product. And that's how, when you start having those conversations, not with a salesperson, but 
you have, or a technical person, but you have it with the corporate dev- development person or the partnership guy or girl, you start building relationships now. And they're going to be thinking, hey, you know, maybe maybe this is the kind of company we should acquire, or maybe we should partner with them in another way. And that's going to drive other businesses to see you in a different light as well. So partnerships are really important. Micro acquire, and you know, there's a lot of business brokers. If you really want to get rid of your business, you're going to be able to, there's a price for every business if you want to get rid of it, especially <laughs> if you have revenue. Yeah. So what would you say would be like the lowest MRR that you would be willing to sell for? Like, you know, as, as a founder listening to this, when should they consider selling? Well, if they're, if they're broke and they, they, you know, they can't put food on the table and you gotta, you know, that's going to be tough because, you know, people smell that, right? Like you yeah. smell it on, on people. But I, I guess in short that, you know, don't build a business to think that you're going to build it to 5k. Anyone who sells their business at like three or four or 5k MMR and they just launched is probably ready to give up, mm. right? Like, let's face it. Cause if you're, if you're at five, 10, 20, 50, hundred MMR mm. and you're growing, Unless you get an amazing offer, then you're 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 leaving. You're selling because you're giving up, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you're, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But it's just time to call the quits. It's smart. It's just like, hey, I'm done with this. And I'm going to move on to something else. And if I can make some money, that's great. So, um, you know, you just got to look at yourself and ask yourself why you're doing this. And if you can just kind of continue on, you know, there's always options and alternatives. You can find maybe you can go back and take a job somewhere else. And maybe find someone to kind of help run it part time. There's maybe find that right advisor, or maybe you're just building the wrong thing and nobody wants it. You know, I've 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 talked to uh, actually a startup recently, and you know, I felt really sorry for this guy because you know he's been doing this for like four and a half, three and a half years, and he's like no revenue, and he's still talking about like, oh, I'm kind of finding my product market and niche, and I'm like, give up, you know, like. I, I never want to say anything to give up to anybody, but I'm just like, maybe you should reevaluate this. And uh, sometimes you just hold on way too long and just move on to something else because, you know, the longer that you're in this market and building product and SaaS or whatever you're building, um, you're going to just gonna get better at it over time. It becomes easier. It really does. Competitors, you know, it, it makes it harder, but there's, I believe anyone can go build a five, 10 million ARR business, anybody in the world. Really, I do. <laughs> So you mentioned earlier on about um, kind of raising seed capital um, mm-hmm. versus bootstrapping. Why why would you raise seed versus bootstrap for your next startup? Yeah. So if you're somebody, well, it doesn't really matter who you are. I really believe that raising two, 300K from friends or family or some angels, if your idea is good and you have a strong plan as far as like how you're going to execute then I think you should go raise two, 300K because there's other competitors out there that are raising two, 300K or 500K or a million dollars. And they're going to be a year or two years ahead of you. And so what? You're giving up 10%? Like who who cares? You give up 10%. You're not giving up board seats. You're not giving up voting rights. You're getting some help from, from, from these angels. And so you're giving up 10%. Big deal. Go raise two, 300K. And, and, and go through the process. And maybe this is this time is not right for you. And you know what? There's always, I call a lot of BS on a lot of these things. Like, sure, there's always startups. I, I believe you didn't take any funding, right? Like, you never took no. any funding. No, no, That's no. fantastic, right? That's fantastic. You're probably like, I'm never going to take funding ever again. But my point is, not everybody is a Gavin, right? Not everyone is ascendable. Like, not everyone can, not, most yeah. people, I couldn't definitely see it through 12, 10, 12 years, right? It's hard. Most people can't see it through two or three. So 
do yourself a favor and go raise some money early on, a little bit of angel. You're going to get a lot of help. There's so many accelerators and incubators out there that are there to help you. The amount of partnership opportunities that you're going to get by going to a Y Combinator or 500 startups or even, it doesn't really matter. They're everywhere. And go take that 800K or 80K for their 4%. And then you're going to go raise another two, 300K for another whatever it is, another six, 7%. You know how much further off you're going to be if you're 25 years old? There's no way in hell I would, if I was 25, when I was 25, that I was ready to build a startup. There was no chance whatsoever. So if I had the opportunity to go to a, an accelerator and take some money, I would have definitely done that because I would be better off for it. Mm. But there are very rare companies, unicorns almost, on the other flip side that are able to go build a 10, 20 million AR business without any funding. And that's great for them. I wish I, I, wish I did that myself. That's phenomenal. That's good for them. But I believe if you're new, um, go 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 meet as many people as you can. Go get into an accelerator. You're going to have friends for life. You're going to have a great network, and it's going to help you move along. I think, yeah. I mean, I would agree in some aspects. I mean, like Sendable is obviously in a very in a highly competitive space. So many competitors. And so I think many. We, we I think we might have been able to accelerate the growth in the early days. To kind of really be up there in the market, so I, I think what took us twelve years, we could have achieved maybe in five or six years with some funding. So mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. When you, I think when you're in a, in a very competitive space, that fundraising does make sense. But if you're in a niche, in a very small niche, maybe not. You know. Yeah, and, and listen, this is not a. You know, I said everybody should go maybe raise a little bit of money. Maybe not everybody, right? Like there are certain people out there, and I think it's also good on the flip side. I don't want to contradict what I'm saying, but it, it's also good on the flip side. To like when you like when I started Airborne, like we raised a little bit of money because the money was on the table, but we put our own money in. Like we knew what it was like to to to, to be scrappy, and there's certain things that you have to do with very limited budget, and you become a different person and a different type of founder when you have no money. So you know it's good on both flip sides, and there's no right or wrong. That's what it really comes down to. There's no right or wrong. It's whatever's right for you, and you know go 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 do that. I think. What happens is though people get used to raising money and they're like, raise more and raise more and raise more. And I know people that are like, raise, raise, raise. And I'm like, why don't you, like, that's crazy. Like, okay, great. You got enough money. Like, just go and go build your business now. But, you know, a lot of people just keep raising and raising. So, um, no right or wrong. But I would, someone came to me and they're like, give me one answer. I'd like, go raise a little bit of money. That's what I would say. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so, you've obviously started a couple of companies now. Was there anything that you did to kind of get those companies off the ground that wasn't necessarily common practice? So, you know, on the show, we like to share things that are less less popular, things that are necessarily scalable that help to fuel your growth. So every company's, you know, over the last 15 years, it's tech 15 years ago is different than what it is today. Um, but, you know, kind of given the most relevant experience, when we launched Airborne, we were very much... You know, you're not going to come through our website and sign up for a 14-day trial and use the product for like you can use the product. But you got to talk to us. I want to make sure that the first 50, 100 customers that came in the door, we talked to every single one of them. And everyone's like, "No, I need revenue, and I got to scale, and I got to." No, I was like, "We want to talk to people. We want to make sure what we're building is right." And it really, it really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, again, back to the basics, like talk to your customers, um, do things. You're right. Do things that don't necessarily scale in the beginning. I'm a firm believer in that. Like everyone, perfect example. I need to set up my sales force from day one. I'm like, you're a startup with no revenue. You need Salesforce. You don't need Salesforce. Go get HubSpot. It's free. Go get Copper CRM or Pipedrive and spend the $20 a month, whatever it is. 
and they're building out their maps and their workflows and their processes. And I'm like, forget that. Put it on pen and paper, put it in an Excel document and track it and make sure like at least you're tracking it somewhere, put it into HubSpot, and then you'll work on your processes and your workflows and everything else. Everyone thinks like this is how our clients are going to come in the door and we're going to, you know, hit them up with 10 emails and we're going to follow up with nurture campaigns. You know, you build that as you go, understand who your customers are, understand where your buyers are. The most important thing is you just really educate your buyer, right? When you talk to them, Mm -hmm. show them that you know what you're talking about. And most of the time you're going to win by just doing that Mm. because most companies don't. Yeah. Right. So, so a good point here is at my last company reply, we made sure that in the very early days, we were not, we did not sell anybody, even though we were a sales platform, we came on, we came into a demo. We, we asked them questions, very basic, right? Ask them to discovery. What do you need? What are your problems? What are you trying to solve? We showed them. We educated them. Or are you familiar with how to, you know, um, like warm up your email? Are you familiar with how to make sure you set up your domain properly? Like we made sure they were educated and they were like, no one's ever, like I've been doing this for five years. No one's ever told them. So that's what we did. And it really mm-hmm. worked. Um, so educate your customers. Startups aren't easy. Like they're not easy. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what anyone says. They're not easy. What makes it easier though, is when you actually have a really great product and there are those mm-hmm. companies that once in a while come along and they're like, wow, this product's great. Um, and if you can build one of those, that's fantastic. You hold on to that, but <laughs> startups are not easy. It takes a lot of grit, a lot of determination, a lot of hard work. And the biggest thing that I learned over the years, it's, it's all who, not how like really changed my mindset. It's all mm-hmm. who it's all the people you surround yourself with that you work with every day that are going to help you build your business. It's all the who. Great advice. Uh, last question for you, Lee. Um, so obviously I know reply and airborne are both in the sales space. Mm-hmm. And like obviously these days with outbound sales being so much harder than ever before, you know, it's more about brand and building trust. Um, what is the future of sales and in particular, what's the, what's the future of outbound sales? So I do not believe that email will go away. Phone cold calling will not go away. LinkedIn prospecting will not go away unless LinkedIn decides that they got all that down, but I don't think that's going to happen. Multi-channel approach is definitely a best way to go. The problem is salespeople are inherently lazy. They want to just set it and forget it. So they're scared to make a cold call. They're scared to message someone on LinkedIn manually and do some research. They're just all automated. So the future of sales, what I, what, where I see is very much like autonomous prospecting, where we're not going to get rid of BDRs and we're definitely not going to get rid of salespeople. But what we are going to do is make the whole motion of prospecting a lot easier and flawless. So today and the five years ago, it was very much you get your list, your people, your phone numbers, your emails, you upload it, you create your five sequences and maybe a phone call step and you hit send and that's it. You just wait and pray. Well, where I see things moving and what we're building is very much the same the same motion of that. But once someone gets in, once a prospect gets into a sequence, we want to now figure out triggers, conditions, and workflows as far as, you know, if the prospect's opened or clicked or viewed or whatever the triggers may be, if, you know, if you viewed on LinkedIn profile, if the company maybe raised money or funding, whatever these triggers look like, that prospect will follow a different workflow because today it's just follow the flow until they reply. So we want to change that game up a little bit. We also want to make it really easy for pro- for pro- for salespeople to find lookalike. So I'm looking for CIOs of companies between 10 and 20 million. Well, 
you know what, how about I tell you who these other 1000 people are and here's their phone numbers and emails. And how about I just automatically put them into a sequence for you and do that work for you instead of the BDR doing that work. Let the BDR talk to people, let us manage this, the prospecting, not just, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot of AI happening around like template builder. That's still very early days. Some of them are pretty great. Um, but I want to build a system and where I see the future going, where it's very autonomous, where again, everything's going to flow. Once you set it, it's, it's going to flow for you. And it's just to continue just to kind of drive and pi- drive those pipelines of, of, of deals in for you. Because today it's very much like I'm using three different data providers. I got to find the data. I got a list and I still got to import that. We want to remove all that friction. Mm. There's a lot of other sense. secret sauce yeah. that we're building as well, but <laughs> we'll save that for, you know, in six, eight months, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with some special stuff. But what, I guess on that topic, what are your thoughts on the fact that people kind of can't be sold to anymore? I should you that that behavior is changing. Yeah. So there is definitely a educational component to every sale now. So we know the buyer, whatever, 50, 40, 60% of the buyer has already done their research, whatever that number is. I don't know where they get that stat, but anyhow, um, the, we know the buyer has done some research. They've probably seen a LinkedIn post about a company and they went to the company and they filled out a form and they got a free trial and they started playing with it. Once you start, once sales starts engaging with that prospect, you definitely need to sell them. There is definitely a sales because I will kick anyone's ass in any other company that says that we don't sell to sale. We don't, our salespeople don't just sell. Um, I will love to get, come up against those companies because even though we can be, we can educate the buyer, we can help them. We can help them understand why they need our solution, but you better believe that we're still selling them because when I'm, if I'm talking to you and you're looking to buy my solution, I'm going to be asking you when you're ready to buy and why you're ready to buy and what all of these other questions around, like, how am I going to surround my solution to make your business better? That's selling. It's not just like, well, you know, I need the deal tomorrow or else it's not a deal. Like that's not selling, but there's still selling happening and it will always happen because if you let the buyer decide just by coming on a website and clicking and pointing and buying the product, that's great. They may buy that product, but unless you're now providing a great support experience, and a great experience with your UI and the functionality and the, and the results that they're going to get, you're going to have to sell them still. You're selling them when you're chatting with them on support because you're selling them your service. You're selling them your pricing because they may, you know, there may be a better price out there. You're selling them on how fast you can get back to them. Those are all sales-led motions. You may not think it is, but it 100% is a sales-led motion. Cool. That makes sense. Uh, before we go, uh, so we, we have a mix of entrepreneurs, founders, uh, business owners, and marketers uh, listening to this uh, podcast. Uh, where's the best place to find you online, Lee? Are you on LinkedIn or Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. LinkedIn. Not I'm on Twitter more for following, just kind of keeping up with news. But LinkedIn is the the go to. Um, email me on LinkedIn. Happy to talk to any founders. Um, I do some angel investing as well. So if you think you've got a great idea or product, you know, hit me up connect with me on LinkedIn, love to connect with you. Um, I'll book a 15 minute call and chat with you, like no problem whatsoever. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, what everyone should be doing is, is just connecting with people and, and, and sharing, you know, sharing your, your experience and knowledge with others. So yeah, if, uh, if anyone finds any of my information valuable, but by all means hit me up. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lee. Thanks Gavin. Appreciate Good. your time. Take care, man. <laughs>